Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Maybe I can make my reality whatever I want. Now, how does that feel? Inspiring, isn't it? It's kind of like when a parent tells you when you're 10 years old, you can, you can be anything you want in life. It's inspiring. It's freeing. And it goes directly against all of the oppressive objectivity of the Catholic Church, which is in our collective unconscious. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. The rapid rise of extreme subjectivism, which we're still experiencing today, and it's really impossible to tell when we'll reach an inflection point and things turn around, has led to the rapid death of critical thought. We can see it everywhere, especially on social media. So today, I offer you an alternative to either objectivism or subjectivism, the philosophical category I call transjectivism. What is that? Keep listening to find out more. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. So that brings us to the end of the 19th century, when what really important ology began to take shape for 500 points. You have to be unmuted just to win the points. What, when, when, what time period are you talking about? Now? End of the 19th century, between 1870 and 1910, what very important individualistic ology was created? Psychology. Psychology. That's good for 500 and you've got control of the board. <laughs> psychology. Now, this is a really interesting thing, right? Now, we think of psychology looking at one's own psyche, looking at one's own filters for reality, one's own projections. We think of that as like, well, everybody knows a little bit about that. Yeah, not 120 years ago, not even really 80 years ago, because you know there were not a lot of therapists in 1940, I would imagine. Right? Psychology, I don't think, was founded until 1910. So do you see how psychology could not have happened without... a passionate interest in the individual experience. And then, of course, all of what these philosophers were saying about how the individual creates their own reality in one way, that deepened even more. Wow, look at this. You can change someone's point of view or process some trauma that they had, and suddenly they have a different experience of reality, which NLP called reframes. And now reframing something is part of our vernacular. Guess what? It wasn't 100 years ago. And this is why. You can change your perception and change your reality. Well, maybe that means there is no objective reality. Maybe I can make my reality whatever I want. Now, how does that feel? Inspiring, isn't it? It's kind of like when a parent tells you when you're 10 years old, you can, you can be anything you want in life. It's inspiring. It's freeing. And it goes directly against 
all of the oppressive objectivity of the Catholic Church, which is in our collective unconscious. And in other cultures, you know, Buddhism did the same thing. Any, all powers used in the quote-unquote civilized world, all powers use the religion and spirituality of their times to gain power and oppress. So now here's this revolution. And remember, all these revolutions are happening, right? American Revolution, French Revolution, all of this power of the people stuff, individual rights, right? And then the United States was founded in uh, 1776, right? Yeah, because the American Revolution was right before that. The first country in the history of consciousness in the history of the world to be founded on the rights of the individual. The first country ever. Not that long ago, right? So now, uh, back to uh, early 20th century, and we'll fast forward to the uh, 60s. We're almost where you are. We're almost where we are, right? So in the 60s and 70s, right, Perhaps the peak of free will and experimentation and mind-altering drugs and the revolution uh, about Vietnam and uh, you know power to the people, huge civil rights movements happened. You know, even though slavery was ended in 1865, it wouldn't be until 1961 that uh, separate but equal would disappear. And that, that wasn't really implemented until the 70s. There were still in the late 60s in the South separate water fountains. 50 years ago, folks, right? So I'm not saying that the, the movement toward the individual rights is a bad thing, not at all. It was absolutely critical. The argument I'm making is that because it was a rebellion against objectivism, repression, oppression, both, that we've gone too far, like Ed was saying before. So in the 60s, that was when uh, Buddhistic thought a lot of Eastern religions started to get really popular here in the States. And that we don't have time to talk about. I'll be writing about it. We don't have time to talk about it other than I can just touch on it. Fascinatingly, most people's interpretation of Eastern thought is incredibly subjectivistic. For example, many people, when they think of perception as reality, they think of Buddhism. Well, we're creating our own experience. That's not what the Buddha taught. Buddhism was founded in. Um, 500 BC, if I'm remembering that right, yeah, 500 BC. That was an objectivistic time as well. He taught that you create your reality, which is exactly what psychology would confirm a couple, uh, 1500 years later. You create your reality. But he taught that there was a reality and that it was a really good idea to try to understand or encounter what it is. But all of the Eastern thought, okay, imagine, all of these people who were born into the oppressive um, you know, Judeo-Christianity, if it was for them, for some people, they felt supported by it. But for many people, they felt oppressed and controlled by the uh, Judeo-Christianity they were raised in. Then they see these other religions and spiritualities that are exotic and cool and have different practices and look completely different than what they were raised in. They're not going to take it as an objective frame to now crawl inside of. They're going to look at these systems and go, how do I make this, how do, how do I use this to make me a freer individual? And so they discount the rigorous practice and the discipline and the commitment and the devotion that those forms of spiritualities require. And they take what feels good. And that's why most people, when they meditate, are not meditating. 
because meditation is not about relaxing. It's not about reducing stress. From a pure Zen Buddhism standpoint, can it be used to do those things? Sure, have at it. But don't think you're doing Zen because you're in a subjectivistic frame where you're engaging in a practice to make yourself feel better. Oh, but wait, don't ask if you're right. Ask if your belief empowers you. Well, my meditation practice makes me feel really relaxed. So I feel empowered. So I'll keep doing it that way. Terrific. Fine. But critical thinking will show you you're not doing what Buddhism essentially is, which is about encountering reality, which in Buddhism means that your meditation is about trying to find the meditator and experiencing that it cannot be found. And this is a practice that will bring up, if you do it right, abject terror. And it will cause you to feel like you're losing your mind, which is why every 30 minutes or so I blank out these days. Because that's what rigorous meditation practice does. Does it produce incredible bliss feelings and peace and all that? Sure, sometimes, but guess what? Not when you decide. It happens when it decides. It's an objectivistic practice. You're giving yourself over to consciousness, awareness, whatever you want to call it. You're letting it have more and more of your life while you process the fear of the ultimate authority being itself operating through you. And a very small percentage of people actually get that that's what the original creation of meditation was about. Now, can it be subjectively used for all sorts of other things effectively? Sure. You see, it's both. But wouldn't it be good to know if you're going to use someone else's tool for a different purpose? Wouldn't it be good to know that uh, what the original intention of the tool was? Right? Hey, I can use this screwdriver as a hammer. Cool. I've done that. You might want to know, though, that there's this thing called a hammer that does the job much better. Right? That's a good thing to know. Well, uh, how dare you tell me what tool I should be using? This tool is working great for me. Okay, okay, okay. Enjoy your subjective experience, but you're never going to be a great carpenter. Those are the objective consequences. All right, I got eight minutes. So I think you're starting to see what's going on here. The, the important thing to get is that you've all been conditioned, John Locke would say, We've all been conditioned largely by a subjectivistic culture and mindset without even realizing it. So we come from unconsciously, very often, depending on what your conditioning was. I was raised in a very subjectivistic uh, household. I was raised by reformed Jews who didn't believe in God. but wouldn't admit it until I was in my 20s and asked them. And I was like, so here's a critical thinking example. So how is it that you raise a child in a religion that you don't actually believe in? How do you make that work? Do you know how confusing that was for me? Because I could tell, right? That's what that confuses a child, right? But, and many Jews don't believe in God because for them, it's more about tradition. And, and you know, do they get good things out of it? Sure, there's no judgment here. It's just not critical thinking. Right? But that's what religion has become. Because 2,000 years ago, there were no Jews who didn't believe in God. <laughs> you, either, you believed in God or experienced it even better, or you weren't a Jew, right? But as subjectivism and the rise of the individual interpretation uh, emerged, 
religions, in order to adapt and not lose members and power and money, started to soften their stance, right? And so the Pope in 2013 suggested that actually homosexuals are not necessarily sinners. And then a couple of years later said that same-sex marriage was, you know, a, 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 a directly against God's plan. Oi. Oi, the former Jew says, what are you doing? <laughs> Work it out, right? Now, I get why he says that. It's like they're making steps in a, in a fairer direction, in a truer direction. But do you see from the Pope's perspective, if he just says, oh, yeah, homosexuals are not sinners and we were wrong, well, then people are going to be like, well, what else do you have wrong? You've been persecuting these people for 2,000 years, right? It kind of undermines their authority. So I get the problem that they have, but it's a marketing problem they're trying to solve. They're not actually using critical thinking. So again, subjectively, hey, I get it. Tough spot you're in. Objectively, oi, own your mistake for God's sake. So make a pun. But you see this everywhere. You see this everywhere. Everywhere you look, and, and I, I, this is, I know this is intellectually heavy stuff and uh, you know, history lesson and all that. And I went back and forth about whether to do this and here our second session. But the reason I wanted to bring this was because this is the context in which critical thinking is dying. This is why it's dying. This is why Trump's administration, I think it was Kellyanne Conway, can coin the term alternative fact when talking about the, the number of bodies that were at the inauguration, which is like really not a matter of debate. And there's not an intellectual revolution about the idea of alternative fact. It's, you know, people make some noises about it, but now it's swallowed. It's part of the lexicon. You can just pull out alternative fact in your argument now, and you've got some kind of weight in the collective unconscious to back you up. Critical thinking is dying, has been dying, and will continue to die until I don't know what. Because we, we have not yet reached the nadir. Nadir is the bottom point. We I'm have sorry, not. What will continue to, is dying and will continue to die? The rise of extreme subjectivism, therefore the death of critical thinking. Okay. Meanwhile, because nobody wants to feel stupid, people think they're powerful thinkers. Especially if they went to college where they think they weren't critical thinking. I can assure you, you didn't. Yeah. I mean, you might have, but not, it was accidental if you did. I encounter people, even lawyers, who law school is the best place, best institution to learn critical thinking. And I've had many debates with lawyers where I run into like, what? Like, because law is one of those places where critical thinking is, is still held. And, you know, the idea of our government is that we decide laws based on critical thinking, right? If you ever are, you know, bored watching paint dry and you want to turn on C-SPAN, Sometimes you can catch someone actually making a critical thinking argument for legislation. I mean, that it used to be more that way. It's less and less and less like that. Why? Because of what I've been saying. Because the because of the goddamn printing press. <laughs> you can see everything has been pushing it in this way, and there's no stopping. And sometimes I feel like a lobster in a tsunami, trying to like being this voice in the darkness of like, oh, critical thinking is important. And I, I don't have the naivete to know that I actually, actually can make a dent in it. How are people going to learn? How is this going to end? It's going to end the same way objectivism ended. 
when shit gets really bad. That's how objectivism ended. When the rich got so rich and the poor got so poor that it was untenable. And some technology maybe aid, like the printing press aids and abets that, that process. It's really interesting to think about what will happen. But that's speculation. What's important for all of us here is to get that you live in a culture that thinks it gets clear thinking and has no clue what it is. And when you confront someone with clear thinking, like I did in this Facebook post, you will get no clear arguments in response and you will get attacked. That's what generally happens. Because you made them feel stupid and they think feeling stupid is a bad thing. I offer in this context that feeling stupid is one of the most treasured moments you can have. Because when you feel stupid, you're about to learn something really important. Like, for example, if you forget to mute yourself in the beginning and you let some of your unconscious narrative into the webinar, which of course your manager is going to talk with you about really soon, you're going to learn something about that and you're going to feel really stupid for a while. But have hope. Because it's the bearing of that stupid feeling that's exactly what's going to make you a more intelligent, evolved, aware, and skilled person. There's no other way. There's no other way. It seems like what you were talking about now is is, is, uh, closely related somehow to what seems to be going on on college campuses where um, a a certain brand of thought is not even... People don't want to even uh, want it to be expressed, and, and uh, that seems like a pretty uh, dangerous kind of a thing. What's going on? Exactly. Great example. Thanks for bringing it. That is an anathema to what an educational institution is about. It's like, well, we're here to explore all ideas from an objective place with critical thinking, but this idea, no, they, that speaker can't come here. What? Yeah. yeah, it doesn't empower me. Yeah. Aha. And so it, our academic institutions are dying too. And this is where I sort of, um, I don't like that I think this way in some ways, but this is where I agree with some of Ayn Rand. You know what Ayn Rand showed? Now, Ayn Rand was an extreme objectivist, by the way, if you know Ayn Rand. She went too far into objectivism. But I get why she did that, because she saw all of this. If she, if she heard this, she would be like, duh. <laughs> I don't know if she ever wrote it. Probably someone cooked up this timeline. I've never heard it before, but uh, I'm sure it's not unique to, to my seeing. But uh, yeah, she she was uh, grown up in in Soviet Russia, where she saw you know the the abuses of of power and subjectivism in that way, the way it was used as in control. So she saw this tide of subjectivism. She coined the term "people faking reality," and so um, her books are are uh, she goes too far, in my opinion. It makes reason a false god. She's an objectivist. I'm a transjectivist. I find myself somewhere in the middle. Clear and open is a transjective model. Otherwise, I wouldn't teach inquiry, right? And Ayn Rand would look at inquiry and go, you are insane. You're dismantling your own capacity for reason. Of course, things should and shouldn't be. Get the hell out of here. I would love to talk to her about it, but she's dead. Um, so... Uh, well, they're just saying, oh, yeah. The, so um, how I agree with Ayn Rand is I think what's going to happen in Atlas Shrugged, um, she paints a picture of society destroying itself with extreme subjectivism. 
and, and from that rising a, a, a community of people who uh, embrace more critical thinking. I imagine something like that will happen. I don't know when. I mean, who knows? Maybe we can go another thousand years like this. But shit's getting worse, isn't it? So uh, interesting. I, I think we can just base the timeline on uh, when ide- when the movie Idiocracy becomes documentary <laughs> rather than entertainment. Yes. So, Idiocracy. Maybe, maybe five to ten years out, my gut check. <laughs> yes. See the movie Idiocracy if you've not. It's painting a picture of like, this is where we're headed. Where? <laughs> yeah. Where with that the Gatorade <laughs> drink, whatever it is called, it's what plants crave. <laughs> Gatorade, yeah. Because if it's, it's good, Gatorade, if it's yeah. pleasing for people to drink, and I crave it, of course it's good for plants. And there's a crisis that you know there's no food, and everybody's uh, running out of food because they've been watering the plants with uh, this Gatorade, which comes out of the water fountains too, because the marketing <laughs> has subjectively convinced everyone that this is better to drink than water. Which is, by the way, what Coca-Cola wants to do. They have a metric of total liquid intake. They want to be whenever you take a drink, they own it. That's we didn't even talk about the business influence. Well, that's the new ob- objective religion oppression, right? It's businesses now. They they want to tell you what to think and what to buy and how to how to be. It's in businesses now, which of course the founding fathers never saw coming. It's just why it's uh, not protected. So we have freedom of religion. Well, no, there's you know the Constitution eliminated. I promise one in a minute. If you have to go, it's fine. Um, the the Constitution's. Uh, was designed to stop the uh, oppressive use of religious control, but it never foresaw that businesses would take over where religions had been. And eventually, maybe that will be what happens. There'll be a revolt against big businesses. You know, if everyone boycotts, you know, Amazon, uh, you know, uh, Apple and whatever, whatever businesses they're boycotting, that's the only way to wrest power from them in that way. And, uh, you know, insert some kind of standards for advertising or whatever, pharmaceutical industry. I mean, there's an industry that needs to be boycotted because they're actually controlling people's consciousness with their product and then controlling doctors to get them to peddle their stuff unnecessarily. Not to say that they don't produce miracle technology that helps lots of people, but it swings too far. We're seeing signs of that, Joseph. So from a marketing perspective, like like we're seeing that. Um, I can say that uh, uh, Tina and I have a, a, a ban going on 15 years of, of Walmart. So we have a 15-year ban on Walmart. I, I think our personal household spending is not impacting Walmart's bottom line. <laughs> but, yeah, but it starts somewhere, right? So Do people are... I, I just conducted user tests this week, and two of 10 participants said they would not shop from this um, company that I brought to them because it didn't represent their values. They gave Amen. it a hard pass. They, yeah, they're like, I would absolutely not shop at that company based on this landing page and how I perceive them and their values. Right on. It's happening. It's happening. It's yeah, slow. So it's, it's, it's still, it's a start, but it's Yes, slow. it's, 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 it's stay happening. tuned. And, you know, there's people like me shouting from rooftops about uh, transjectivism. So I'm not the only one. And so there, there's some voices in the darkness. All right, so we'll close it here. I know I kept you late, but it was a lot to get in. Thanks for hanging with me. And have this, I don't know what the assignment is yet, but look for it over the next 24 hours. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. 
Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.